Our text is in the uh, third chapter of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. The book of Proverbs is a book of practical advice. It's the most practical book in the Old Testament. It's the James of the Old Testament. It's the Sermon on the Mount of the Old Testament. It just gives some helpful hints, some helpful suggestions. It's better than Anne or Abby or Heloise. It's just a really a practical book. And I suppose that the most loved, surely the, the most memorized verses in all of the Proverbs are the two verses that make up five and six. Some of you can quote them just right now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall make your paths straight. Or as the King James has it, He shall direct your paths. A preacher told about traveling a very uh, treacherous mountain road between two little villages in Arkansas while he was preaching a revival a few years back. And he says he drove along, he noticed some little white crosses occasionally there beside the road, little white crosses in the ground or on the trees beside the road. And he said he asked his friend what they meant. And his friend said, well, those mark the place where there were fatal accidents. He said, this is a very treacherous and dangerous road. A lot of people have been killed here on it. And the state erects, has erected those white crosses to warn the people or to encourage them to be more careful or to drive safely. He said to see those white crosses beside the road caused him to grip the steering wheel just a little tighter and give a little more urgency to the uh, responsibility of driving there. Um, I think the Christian life is a lot like that. God just keeps putting up these little white crosses pointing to the failures of other men and women to warn us of the dangers that are along the road and to encourage us to be urgent in our living and to be careful about it. I think that's one of the reasons why the Bible is so honest. The Bible never glosses over the failures of its heroes. Have you ever noticed that? It just paints them warts and all. And so you have in the Bible the sin of David and God seems to be saying, here's a man after my own heart, and if he can do this, if he can sin like this and make this tragic mistake in his life, you need to be warned and encouraged to watch your step and be careful how you live. A white cross. And there's Abraham's lie. He just flat out lied because he was afraid for his life. This man of faith was afraid and so he lied, a white cross. 
And there's Moses who let his pride get the best of him and in a moment of anger smote the rock and the consequences of that sin became irrevocable. And God is saying that's a white cross to be careful. And there is Simon Peter cursing and, and, and denying the Lord a white cross. Now it is exceedingly important to God that you have a safe trip. And so he says, he will direct our paths. The New American Standard has it that he will make our paths straight. And frankly, when I memorized that from the New American Standard, I was disappointed in that translation. To me, the King James is the better translation. He will direct your paths, but it's really not. The Hebrew word there for direct means to make straight the crooked. It means to smooth out the rough. You see, God does not just give us directions from a distance. He doesn't just stand off and point the way he wants us to go. He goes before us, straightening out the crooked places, smoothing out the rough places, and removing the obstacles when we get to them. Now it is when we get to them. Now I'm beginning with you this morning, a brand new year. And I have a feeling there are going to be some obstacles for me out there the first day of August 1985. I don't know what barriers will be there for me. Neither do you. And I know that God, if I trust him this morning, is not just going to clear away all of the obstacles today for every day of the new year. But I do have his promise that when I get to August the 1st, 1985, God will be there with the resources necessary for the day. I remember reading from Corey Timboom's uh, book. She was, of course, the author of The Hiding Place. And they hid these people from the Nazis during one World War II in her father's house. And the Nazis were closing in on them. In fact, they had a suspicion that they had these people hidden there. And it was getting to be a tough time for Corey Ten Boom's family. And one day she said to her father, Daddy, Papa, what will happen if the Nazis find those people we're hiding up in the attic? And he said, Corey, when did we go to Amsterdam? And she said, well, last month. And he said, well, how did, we, how did we make the trip? And she said, well, we went by train. She thought her father was you know, asking some pretty dumb questions. She said, we went by train. He said, well, Corey, when did we buy the ticket? When did we get the ticket for the, for the journey? She said, well, the day of the journey. And Papa said, that's the way it is with God. He'll give you the ticket for the journey on the day of the journey. Now God is extremely concerned that we have a safe trip and he's going to be out there in the future in those days ahead of us straightening out the rough places and smoothing out, straightening out the crooked places and smoothing out the rough places on the day of the journey. As a matter of fact, he's so concerned that we have a safe trip that he's taken personal responsibility for straightening out the crooked ways. Did you notice? He will direct your path. I love the personality of that pronoun. That he just trembles with the tenderness of the Father's love. He himself 
will be directing your path, smoothing out the crooked places. Now before we get to the, before we break this text down into pieces small enough to digest, there's a a thing that just kind of leaps out of this text that we need to recognize first off, right up front, and that's this. That the promise of God of this text is conditional. That means that God will do a certain thing if we do a certain thing. The promise is conditional. He will make the crooked way straight so that you will have a safe journey on the condition that you allow him to do that. Now watch this. Divine guidance is a revelational response to man's obedience. I need to say that again because whatever I say today will not, there be nothing more important than this statement. Divine guidance is a revelational response to man's obedience. When man obeys God, he gives him divine guidance a day at a time. Now, I've had people say, well, if God wants something done, he'll get it done. I had a personnel committee say to me one time, if God wants a certain man on our staff of our church, he'll just get him here, regardless of what we do. The only thing wrong with that is that it's not biblical. God will allow you to make a mistake. Psalms 106 says, that God gave them the desires of their heart and sent leanness to their soul. And what he meant was that God gave them exactly what they wanted even though it wasn't what was best for them. I read a book by Frederick Speakman one time. He told about a couple and a little boy went in and stopped at this restaurant while they were traveling to eat lunch. And they sat down there and this waitress came. You've seen her. You know, just, I mean, one of these veteran waitresses. I mean, she'd been slinging hash for 20 years. She wasn't disrespectful, but she just had no fear, you know, of anybody. You've you've seen those. You've had some of those. And she said she came up there with her little pad, and they said, well, we need uh, roast beef and uh, vegetables. We need, you know, green beans and all those good things. Good for you. We need vegetables. And the little boy who was there said, I'll have a hot dog. And the mother said, no hot dog. It's not good for you. You need vegetables. He'll have roast beef and mashed potatoes and green beans. And the waitress just acted like they didn't even say anything. He, she, he said, oh, you want a hot dog? You know, looked at the little boy and said, you'll have a hot dog? You know, his eyes kind of lit up. He said, yeah, I'll have a hot dog. He said, no hot dog for, the little, for, for our son. He wants roast beef and vegetables. You gotta have your vegetables. She just ignored him. What do you want on your hot dog? He said, mustard. Lots of mustard. She said, mustard. That's what you'll get. Lots of mustard coming right up. And turned and walked out. And he said, the little boy looked at his parents and said kind of in awe, she thinks I'm somebody. (laughs) Now God thinks you're somebody. And God's going to do everything in this amazing grace to make you the kind of person he knows that you can be. Everything except violate your right to examine and choose and decide. He will not do that. He will give you the freedom to make a mistake. He will give you the choice and whatever the choice is, 
even though it must, even though it might not be best for you, rather than to, than, than to violate your freedom. Now it is true that if a person is surrendered to the will of God and he wants the will of God more than anything else in his life, God will see that that will is done. But God is not going to just turn us around and make everything come out for us. Don't ever think that God won't let you get off the track. This promise is conditional. Now it is exceedingly important to God that you get there alive. You've seen those signs along the way, arrive alive. He wants you to have a safe trip in this new year that is before you. He wants you to have a great trip and he's going to guarantee it on the basis of a couple of conditions. The promise is conditional. The first condition is that I have a definite principle by which I live. Trust, this is the principle. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now that's the point that God just keeps trying to bring us to, both as an individual and as a church, to the place where we trust in the Lord with all our heart. For without faith it is impossible to please God. It's the hardest lesson we'll ever learn did you know that a man will not trust God with all his heart until he has to? There's something about the fallen nature of man that causes him to depend upon himself as long as he can, that causes him to look to his own resources as long as he can. He'll not trust the Lord except as a last resort. Now the word trust means to lean upon. Learning to lean upon God. That's the principle by which my life should be guided. By really, the purest translation of that word trust is this. It means to lie on your face helplessly. And it's the picture of one who buries him, his face into the bosom of God and leans helplessly upon the Lord. It's the picture of one who abandons himself completely to God. So that a believer does not have a visible means of support. He has an invisible means of support. He buries himself helplessly into the care and sovereignty and providence of God. That's what it means to trust. Now I need to say two things about that word trust. We must trust him earnestly. He says, with all your heart. Now it is more qualitative than it is quantitative. It is not quantitative in the sense that I trust the Lord, you know, 10 times today. I trusted him for safety as I traveled. I trusted him for some financial needs that I have. I trust him for my daily bread. I, I trust the Lord 10 times. That's, that's quantitative. It's not so much that as it is qualitative, meaning that it is not a partial trust. It is a total trust upon God. It is not, I'll trust the Lord in this area of my life to, meet, to help me in this area of my life, but in this area of my life, I can handle that. I can take care of that myself, you see. It's not that. It is every fiber of your being abandoned to God. 
Are you really trusting Him? We must trust Him earnestly. He said we must trust Him exclusively. He said, and lean not on your own understanding. That is, lean not on your own wisdom, on your own intelligence. Trust not in your own intelligence or wisdom. Now this phrase amplifies in a negative way what it means to trust the Lord. What does it mean to trust the Lord? Well, it means that you don't lean upon your own intelligence. You don't depend upon your own wisdom. You see, a lot of people think they trust the Lord when they're not. For time after time after time, they trust, they depend upon their own intellectual understanding of a situation. Let me give an example. Here's a young lady who just knows the Bible in and out. She knows what God's Word says, just about everything. I mean, she has an understanding and a grasp of the Scripture. And she falls in love with an unbeliever. Now, the Bible says that we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, that unbelievers and believers are not to be uh, yoked together, that, she knows that. But in this area of her life, because she's in love, you know, she's thinking, well, this is how I'm going to reason this out. I know that I love this man, this boy, and I know that, you know, if, if God hadn't given me that love, you see the right, if God hadn't given me that love, I couldn't, love, I couldn't love him. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust God to work things out. I'm going to trust God for my marriage. I'm going to trust God to use me to save him. You see what I'm talking about? That's leaning on your own understanding. And that's why it's so hard to live a life of faith. Because to live a life of faith, you have to jettison your, your intellect. You have to throw overboard your wisdom. Now, I'm not saying that faith and, 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 and reason are in conflict. I didn't say that. I am not saying that faith and intelligence are in conflict, for they're not. I heard a guy preach one time. He said, you know, faith and intelligence are, are diametrically opposed. They're in conflict. And if I were to draw a graph on the wall over here with that kind of uh, rationale, the line of faith would go this way and the line of reason go that way in opposite directions. That's not, that's not true. That'd be like a little boy in the primary Sunday school class. His teacher asked him one day, what, what do we mean by faith? What does it mean to have faith? He said, well, it, believe, it means you believe in something you know ain't true. Well, you know, that's, that, that's, that faith is in conflict with intelligence. G. Campbell Morgan has a good definition of it. He said, faith does not conflict with reason, it goes beyond it. So that the lines of the graph are going in the same direction, but the line of, line of faith goes farther than the line of reason. And the man who lives the life of faith is the man who keeps on going when reason stops. He doesn't quit when intelligence quits. When he gets to the end of what he understands, what he can see, what he can reason, he doesn't stop there. He goes on. What a life that is to live a life of faith. Now, 
This is the principle by which I must be guided, by which this church must be guided. We must lean helplessly upon God and go beyond reason. Do not depend on our own intelligence. Secondly, there must be a daily practice by which I live. There must be a definite principle by which I live and there must be a daily practice by which I live if I expect God to straighten out the crooked ways in this year. Now what is this daily practice? It's this. In all your ways acknowledge Him. It's as simple as that. Now you know what the word acknowledge means? It means to, to see or to recognize. In all the ways of your life see and recognize God. Recognize God, see God in every situation, in everything that happens. It's a call for us to the fact that God is in everything in life. It's a call for us to recognize the fact of God at every point in our life, in everything. And it, and, it, and it destroys the heresy that God is in the sanctuary but not in the marketplace. It, 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 it destroys the heresy that God is concerned about the spiritual fact of man's life but he's not concerned, he's totally indifferent to the material or, or physical fact of a man's life. You see God in everything. You recognize that God is not cloistered somewhere in some ivory palace. He, he, is, he is in life. He is in your agonies and in your problems and in your barriers. See God there. Let me tell you something. I want you to hear this. I want you to listen to this. If all you see in life are the obstacles and the barriers and the problems, you, the, you got the most frustrated, helpless life. I mean, you've got the worst kind of an existence. If all you see in life are the problems and the barriers and the frustrations, the secret to serenity, the secret to peace, my friend, is to see that God is intimately involved at every strata and level of life. See Him there. Be able to pray this. Lord, I know you're in this. Let me see where you are. I know you're in this, let me find you. Let me see what you're trying to tell me there. In all your ways, acknowledge him. It does not only mean that, but it also means to use the gifts that God has given us in the sphere of his will to recognize that they are gifts, his gifts and that we are personally responsible to him for them. Now let me say it again. To acknowledge God in all your ways is to use the gifts that He has given you in the sphere of His will as He wants you to use them. To recognize that they are His gifts and that you're responsible to Him for them. That means then that you bring God into everything in life. If He's given you the gift to be a parent, then you're to use that gift in the sphere of His will. You're to be the kind of parent God wants you to be. If He's given you the gift of being a, 
a husband or a wife, and you, you know, you're, you love that, you like that, then you do that in the sphere of God's will. You be the best husband and the best wife and the best parent that God can enable you to be. It means to bring God into your business. If he has given you the gift as a businessman, then you're to use that gift in the sphere of his will so that whatever you do, you're going to present it to God as though you were presenting it to God. If you're a secretary and you're writing a letter to you, for your boss, write the kind of letter that you could offer to God. If you're an employee or an employer, you do the kind of work in that area, in that realm, that you would be willing, unashamed, to offer to God. That's what he's talking about. Now, for 30 years, Jesus worked in a carpenter shop. He made yoke for oxen. And I'm able to say this morning, without any fear of contradiction, that when he made a yoke, it would be one that heaven would take. I mean, it was perfect. Because whatever he did, he did it like the Father would want him to do it. You offer it to God as though you were offering it to God. When I go in the hospital and I pray for the sick, you know one thing I've always tried to pray, Lord, let the people who minister to this sick person do it as unto the Lord. Man, I don't have any problem, uh, you know, uh, trusting my children or my wife to a doctor or to, to nurses or to hospital people who are treating them or working with them or caring for them as they would unto the Lord. I think we have doctors like that. They were right in this place this morning. Do it as unto the Lord. That's acknowledging him in all your ways. And that's, that's, what, that's what he's talking about. It means that to bring God into your recreational life so that I won't do anything that will veil the face of Jesus, however innocent it may seem to me. Now you can start doing that Monday night. I guarantee there are going to be parties all over this town. You know, It's not going to be too bad. It's kind of innocent, you know, to get together and have a social drink with your friends. But is that going to veil the face of the Lord for you? Can you worship God you know, effectively after that? I mean, bring God into your recreational life. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Not just the ways of Sunday, but the ways of Monday, the ways of Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. Acknowledging Him. It means that every day I live, Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, it's an act of worship to God. It's an act of sacrifice to God. It's an act of ministry to God. See Him not just in the sanctuary, but in the shop. Don't just see Him in the, in the bright places. See Him in the dark places. Not just in the heights, but in the valleys. Acknowledging Him in everything. You know what happens when you do that? Well, the promise is, now watch this. This is God's word, and you can count on it. The promise is that you'll have a supernatural guidance in your life. You can't make a mistake when you're doing that. You can't have a failure when you're doing that. You're not going to run off the track and wreck it when you're doing that. 
you trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and in part of that trusting is not leaning on your under, own understanding and in all your ways you see God and recognize God and honor God and I promise you from his word everything's going to be just like God wants it for you and when you leave the choice to him he always gives the best. Listen then I'm through. Somebody told about Henry Drummond. Henry Drummond was a great Scottish preacher in generations past. And he was leaving from a speaking engagement to go to another place. And the fellow where he, the family where he was staying said, the guy who's going to be driving the carriage today is an unsaved man. He's not a believer. And I've been witnessing to him, praying for him. He's a, he, he was a, an alcoholic for years. He doesn't drink anymore. That's probably a little encouragement, knowing the driver. Was, he said... But he's never been saved. And I, I wish if you had a chance, Dr. Drummond, you'd, 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 you'd say a word for the Lord. So Dr. Drummond sat right beside him as the guy drove his carriage, kind of like a stagecoach. And boy, he just got right into that guy's heart right away. He was visiting with him and talking to him. And, and he got so close to this guy as they drove along, the guy, you know, as they, uh, they went along, the fellow, you know, said, I've just really made a miserable wreck out of my life. He said, I'm just embarrassed and shamed about it. Henry Drummond said, suppose this span of horses got away from you today and ran wild and there was sitting beside you a man who was a perfect horseman, perfect horseman. He had never had a span of horses that he could not control and he was sitting beside you and you could not handle those horses and they were getting away from you. What would you do? And the man looked at him and said, Oh, is that what the Lord wants me to do? And Henry Drummond said, that's what God wants you to do. He just wants you to turn the reins of your life over to Him. Maybe we could say it a better way. He just wants you to turn the wheel, the steering mechanism of your life over to Him. He just wants you to turn the control of your life over to Him. He just wants you to give him the key to the control room of your life and he wants you to step out and let him step in. He wants to guarantee you a safe trip. Let's pray together. Father, for this great promise we give thanks. And we believe that it is as true as you are true. Every word of God has been tested and that you are a shield to all of those who find refuge in you. Help us today, Lord, to turn the reins, the control of our life, put it in the hands of the Master. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.